This recording is a ministry of Grace Bible Church of Pleasant Hill, California. We want to thank you for listening and invite you to visit us each Lord's Day on our campus located at 40 Cleveland Road, Pleasant Hill, California, or at any time at gbcph.org. We will actually open Acts, Acts chapter 3 in a minute, but Deuteronomy 18. Deuteronomy 18 and verse 15, that's page 161 in the few Bibles we provide. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they've spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you, from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require of him. Turn now to Acts chapter 3, page 911. Acts chapter 3. Peter's sermon in Solomon's portico, beginning at verse 18, Acts 3, 18, page 911. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. This is the word of the Lord. May God bless the reading hearing of his word to you. Lord, we look to you one last time in prayer and confess our need, admit our dependence, ask our Lord that you would, in the grace of your Holy Spirit and your love for your people, Lord, speak to us now by your grace in his name. Amen. Thank you. As you know, Advent is a season of expectant waiting and preparation for the celebration of the Nativity, that is the incarnation of our Lord. And what is the incarnation? The incarnation is when God, the eternal Son, who existed before the birth of Jesus in eternity, added humanity to himself and then entered into human history at a point in time in the person of the Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ, Jesus Messiah. That's the incarnation. That's what we are preparing to celebrate. You know, 
Many say Jesus Christ, thinking as I did as a young boy that Christ was his last name. <laughs> and not realizing that Christ is a title from the Greek Christos, which means anointed one. And Christos is a Greek translation of the Hebrew Messiah, or in English, Messiah, meaning also anointed one. And so both terms, Christ and Messiah, uh, are, are rooted in verbs meaning to anoint, uh, sometimes to anoint with sacred oil. Messiah, Christ, so both of them are a title for the Lord Jesus, meaning the anointed one. And when I first learned that, I was asking myself, okay, get that now, but why is he anointed? What do you mean, the anointed one? We, we think of Messiah often as Savior. We understand that. But in what sense then was the word to anoint used uh, for Messiah, uh, for the Savior? Well, in the Old Testament, prophets, priests, and kings were on occasion, not always, but on occasions anointed with oil was poured over their head as a symbol of being set apart for God and empowered by God to fulfill their, their ministries, their respective offices. And so every prophet and priest and king who was anointed, we might say, were small m messiahs because that's essentially what it means to, to be anointed. And they ministered to the people on behalf of God and each of these offices were distinct. The prophet was not to be the priest. The priest was not the king, and so forth. And so when we come to Christmas, we, we are celebrating the birth of Jesus because that was the arrival of the Messiah, the capital M Messiah. He was the preeminent anointed one, the one promised by God, the one whom God set apart, whom God consecrated, and he was anointed not with oil, but he was anointed with the Holy Spirit. He, Jesus, the man, was given the Holy Spirit in this fullness. And so we look to him and understand him to be that ultimate Messiah, the ultimate and ideal prophet, priest, and king. In the one unique person, he unites all three roles, or these offices, some refer to it, in his uniqueness as the God-man, empowered by the Holy Spirit to fulfill the work of redemption in each of these roles for God's people. And so all that was imperfect, all that was transitional, preparatory, or temporary in the ministries of the Old Testament small m messiahs, prophet, priest, and king, all of that comes to full realization in Jesus. Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus, the ideal prophet, priest, and king for his people. And this year's Advent series, I'm entitling Knowing Jesus. All of us need to know Jesus better. <laughs> we sang, there is no greater thing than knowing him. I hope you feel that way. You really think that way. And one way to get to know Jesus better is to reflect upon him 
as our God-sent, God-given, ideal prophet, priest, and king. And so this morning, we begin with Jesus, our prophet. And I like to structure our time with just a series of three questions. Very basically, first of all, what is a prophet, briefly? Secondly, why do we need a prophet sent from God? And lastly, thirdly, and most importantly in our reflection is, how did Jesus execute his role as our prophet? So first of all, what is a prophet? Well, many people when they hear prophet, they, they think of the foretelling of the future. A prophet is someone who predicts the future. And that is indeed what a prophet may do, biblically speaking. But more fundamentally, a prophet is God's mouthpiece. He speaks for God to the people. The very first time the word prophet was used in the Old Testament is in Exodus chapter 7. And with certain key words in the Bible, the first time that word appears is often very important because it sets a precedent for everything else or all the other uses. In Exodus chapter 7 is that scene where you know, Moses has told God that he's not, he, he's not eloquent, he doesn't want to speak for God. And so God says this to Moses in Exodus chapter 7 verse 1, the Lord, that is Yahweh, said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You'll be like God to, to, to Pharaoh, and that he will fear you, revere you, and, Moses, and, and Aaron, your brother, will be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell, shall tell, Pharaoh, that they should let his people go, and so forth. And so you see here that a prophet is one who speaks for God. He's God's mouthpiece. Um, God is a communicating God. God is not simply a force. He's a, he's a relational God. He is a personal God. The Bible begins seven times. Chapter 1, God said, God said, God said. And God speaks through prophets, through his mouthpieces. And this is why many times their words were, were, were prefaced with, thus says the Lord. You see, they understood they were speaking God's words. And as God's mouthpieces, the prophets spoke different kinds of words, right? They spoke words of indictment against Israel when they sinned against God and broke the covenant. They, they spoke words of, of, of calls. To, to repentance and uh, to Israel. And they also spoke words of blessing. They pronounced forgiveness. But always the true prophet of God, always what he spoke was truth. The truth of God. The word of God. So what is a prophet? A prophet is a mouthpiece for God. He speaks God's word to God's people. Why do we need a prophet from God? Why did God send His Son into the world to be the ideal prophet? Well, the simple answer is this. Because of our fallen human condition. Because of our fallen human condition in sin. Everything that Jesus came to accomplish as prophet, priest, and king for God was in order to reverse the effects of of what our first father, Adam, had done in his sin, in his rebellion. And his sin 
was our sin. We all sinned in him just as we who are Christians are renewed in Christ. In Adam we sinned and we have received the effects, the consequences of sin. And one of those consequences, in addition to our guilt before God and judgment and so forth, is our spiritual inability, our spiritual blindness. We are all sons of Adam and we are blind to God, blind to his, his true nature. We are blind to the beauty of God, blind to the glory of God, blind to the wonder of him, even though we are surrounded by, by his glory and power in creation. And he has also uh, left that testimony even in our human conscience. We are blind, blind to our blindness <laughs> and blind to our need for him and blind to his solution, his grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember Paul put it this way in Romans 1.18 that we suppress the truth in righteousness. It is around us and it, it, it is deep in our conscience and yet we suppress it. We twist it. We deny it. We neglect it. We disbelieve it. And ultimately we, we reject his words. In fact, Paul elsewhere in 2 Corinthians 4 actually uses the word blind. He says we are blind. Unbelievers are blind to God's glory. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3 says, If our gospel is veiled, picture of veil covering somebody's eyes, it's not clear. If our gospel is veiled, it's veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, God forbid this is you. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing, seeing what? The light of the gospel, the good news. The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And who is Christ? The Messiah? Who is the image of God. The very image of God. The eternal God. And so he says there that this is our human condition. The result is that spiritually speaking, we are like people who are in a dark room. We know there's furniture in there. We keep bumping into it. We're not sure where it is and we can't discern colors, you see. Because we're spiritually inept. Um... In our natural state, that's how we're all born into this world. Uh, Paul put it this way to the Corinthians again, but this time in 1 Corinthians. He explains how it works. Listen to what Paul says. 1 Corinthians 2. He says, this is the condition of people without Christ. It may be some of you. It may be some of you, which is why it's just a bore to be with people at church. Why it's a bore to read the Bible. Why it's a bore to hear. Listen, 1 Corinthians 2.14, Paul says the natural person, what's that mean? The person without God's grace, the person like we're all entered the world. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. What does he mean by that? He's talking about the Spirit-given words. Does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, foolishness, moronic. And he is, listen, he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned, you see. Naturally speaking, we're not good receptors of truth. Uh, we're, we're not able to understand what, what Paul means. He doesn't mean that unbelievers are, are, aren't intelligent. There are incredibly intelligent people on this earth by God's common grace. And they're unbelievers. What he means, he doesn't mean they can't open a Greek lexicon and say that Greek word means this. He, yes, what he means is they're not able to, to grasp the significance and importance of those words. You know, might as well just be a baseball score. It's no big deal to them. 
because they are spiritually, not intellectually merely, appraised. Uh, what that word means is, is to value. Uh, they, they don't see the value in them. Apart from God's grace in your heart and, and faith in Jesus Christ, you will never see the value of this book, never have an appetite for it, and look at it as foolishness, you see. I, I read this last week, something that comes up periodically, uh, and that is when somebody goes somewhere to some rummage sale or garage sale and for a few bucks buys something worth a million dollars. And that happened again. It was a painting, you know. That's happened several times. A few years ago, it happened in London, in England. Somebody was at a, at a rummage sale there and bought an original Picasso. <laughs> it's happened here in America on different occasions. A few years ago, somebody, uh, same, went somewhere and bought a Fabergé egg. They realized it was of some value, the, the seller, so he did pay a few thousand dollars, but ended up being worth $33 million, you see. Now, why do I say that? I'm saying this is that the, whoever put those items up for sale did not understand or appraise their value, you see. And so it is with the natural person. When you hear God's words, you don't take them to be God's words. And so, and so you don't value them. This is why we need, we need, we need a prophet from God. And Jesus is the prophet we need who came to heal our blindness and our ignorance and our resistance to God's word and then instruct us in the things of God. He came to overcome our sin with the power of his voice as the prophet of God in the power of the Holy Spirit. He came to give sight to the blind. He did that both physically but also spiritually, right? He came to open our eyes, as he did to the disciples. Remember, after his resurrection, Luke 24, in the upper room, it says there, he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And that's what he's come to do, to overcome our sinful condition. My sheep hear my voice, he says. Only his voice can pierce your spiritual blindness and change your attitude towards God's words, you see. That's why we need a prophet, but we need him. We need the ideal prophet. And then, now lastly, lastly, how did Jesus execute his role as prophet? I, will, I want to sum it up in three ways. There's different ways of looking at this, of course, and speaking about it. <clears throat> I want to sum it up in three ways. Uh, Jesus executes his role as prophet for us in that he he fulfills God's word, he declares God's word, and he is God's word. So let's, let's think about these. How does Jesus execute the office of prophet who is a mouthpiece for God? First of all, he fulfills the word of God. Jesus fulfills the word of God. You know, Moses foretold of a great prophet as he wrote, and he was writing the words of God when he wrote that, right? Deuteronomy 18, I read, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I commend him. This prophet, in other words, who, the prophet to come would be an Israelite, and he would be an Israelite like Moses. 
In what sense will he be like Moses? Well, like Moses, he would be authorized to declare God's word. Like Moses, he would enjoy intimate fellowship, communion with God. Moses spoke to God as a friend face to face, right? Like Moses, he would perform miracles in public. And like Moses, he would be a lawgiver and a mediator who would pray for his people. This is Jesus, you see, in its fullness. He has the authority to speak for the Father. He was face to face with God, we're told. <laughs> and he also intercedes for the people and he brings us the law of God. And so Jesus is that promised prophet. And he acknowledged that and people acknowledged that uh, in his time when he was walking on this earth. John 1.45, you remember? It said that Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, we have found him. Him. Who's him? We found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And then in John 4, in Jesus' interaction with the Samaritan woman at the well. Remember, he was speaking with her and she was perceiving that he, he could understand and knew her. And uh, she said, I know that Messiah is coming. John adds, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. He's God's prophet. He will tell us all things. And Jesus looks at her and says, I who speak to you am he. Wow. <laughs> uh, what a moment, huh? I who speak to you am he. And then later in John 6, uh, in chapter 6, verse 14, after Jesus had a, performed a miracle, those around said, surely, surely this is the, the prophet, the prophet who is to come into the world. And so how does Jesus execute his role as prophet? He fulfills the word of God. And first of all, he fulfills the word of God in being the very prophet that Moses foretold. But he also fulfills the word of God by accomplishing all that all the prophets foretold. Did you get that? <laughs> Mouthful, right? So he fulfills he fulfills the word of God in being the prophet who was foretold, and he fulfills the word of God in accomplishing all that all the prophets foretold in his life, ministry, death, resurrection, and even now in his ascension and his role at the right hand of the Father. Uh, and to do that, we look at Acts, where we read from earlier, Acts chapter 3. In Acts chapter 3, I read from Peter's sermon and in verse 18, he said, what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, and that word all is important there, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Verse 22, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken, all, again, is important, from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. So what Peter does is he, he applies Deuteronomy 18 to Jesus, right? And he, he applies it to him and his life and his ministry. But the word all in verse 18 is very important because he's saying everything that all the prophets ever wrote about, and in verse 24, from Samuel on, it all really boils down to one major subject, one main subject. And what is that? That the Messiah 
would suffer before glory, that he would be crucified and raised from the dead, you see. And in all these things that were spoken, they have come to be fulfilled in Jesus. All the promises of God are yes and amen in him. And so how did Jesus execute his role as prophet? First of all, Jesus fulfills the word of God by being the promised prophet and fulfilling all that the prophets said would be fulfilled. Secondly, how does Jesus execute his role as prophet? Well, Jesus not only fulfills the word of God, Jesus declares, right? He speaks the word of God. When you go into the Gospels, early on in the Gospels, it says Jesus went about preaching and teaching. He went about preaching and teaching, preaching and teaching, calling to repentance, and preaching about the kingdom of God. And he repeatedly, as he taught, he would repeatedly claim to say and do only what the Father told him to say and do. He's God's mouthpiece. As, as he said to the prophet Moses, I will put my words in his mouth and he will declare them to you. And repeatedly Jesus said, all I am saying is what the Father told me to say. John 7, 16, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. John 15, 15, I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. John 8, 28, I do nothing on my own authority but speak, speak just as the Father taught me. And this is why Jesus is called the faithful witness because <laughs> he spoke just as the Father taught him. And then John 12, 49, he says, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. <laughs> what to say and what to speak. And so when did the Father tell the Son, tell Jesus, the God man, what to say, what to speak? We tend to, we tend to immediately flash to his eternal state and think, well, he, just, he brought it all with him. But remember, Jesus was a God man, that Jesus was a boy at one time, that Jesus grew, that Jesus studied, that Jesus learned, that Jesus memorized. And, and in his communion with the Father, Jesus, the perfect human with the perfect mind, with the fullness of the Holy Spirit, heard from the Father, learned from the Father what to say, and only said what the Father told him to say, and only did what the Father told him to do. He is the ideal prophet and and the voice of God as the God-man. And so he fulfilled the, the role of the uh, ideal prophet by submitting to the Father's instruction as the man, Christ Jesus, and telling us the very word of God. Uh, he came to teach. He came to preach. He came to instruct. And he uh, spoke great words of life and instruction. I think of the, the five great discourses that we, as, as we name them, the five great discourses of Jesus and the ones that stand out in my mind immediately are the Olivet Discourse and, and there Jesus did foretell he was a prophet in that sense and uh, I think about the parables of the kingdom when he spoke the mysteries of the kingdom of God uh, and I think especially the Sermon of the Mount, one of uh, my favorite passages in scripture in the Sermon on the Mount there because 
there he does compare himself to Moses in the, and the, the advancement upon the Old Testament. He says, you have heard that it was said, and then he would either quote the law of Moses or a, uh, a, a tradition based on the law of Moses. He says, but I say to you, you've heard that it was said, but I say to you. And can you imagine the effect upon the ears of these people <laughs> who grew up reading the law of Moses, right? You have heard that I was said, quote Moses, but I say to you. (laughs) Now, he didn't actually necessarily correct Moses per se. He was correcting their perception. He was their wrong perception. And he was teaching them. He made clear that life in the kingdom of God, life for the people of God, is much more than some sort of superficial outward adherence to the law. It's a matter of the heart. A transformed heart leads to a transformed life. And that's what he was saying. He spoke with such authority that when it was done, the people were astonished. (laughs) The people were astonished. He doesn't quote Rabbi so-and-so and Rabbi so-and-so. He quotes Moses, and then he contrasts himself to what we say about Moses. Amazing, right? Jesus taught us. He came to teach us. He's our prophet. He taught us the future. We have hope because of what he's told us about the future. He taught us how to live in the kingdom of God. But most importantly, as our great prophet Jesus declared the way of salvation. He brought us words of life. He repeatedly pointed his, to his teaching as revealing the way into the kingdom of God, the way to be forgiven, the way to belong to God's people for eternity. Jesus said in John 5, 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my words and believes him who sent me does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death already and into life. You think of That is the word of God. That's the promise. Jesus, as the great prophet, brings to us the word of the gospel, the word of salvation. He speaks the truth that if you believe him, transfers you out of death, that is, out of a condition of spiritual death facing eternal condemnation to life, a condition of spiritual life and faith and the promise of resurrection to a blessed life in eternity. He speaks those words. It is this truth, the truth that Jesus spoke and revealed that transforms us, that heals us. My words are spirit and life, said Jesus. But you know what? They have to be taken in. They have to be taken in. His words, his words are contained here still. His words, they're repeated off my lips and the lips of others, the lips of some of your parents, of the lips of your, off of your, your loved ones, your friends. His words are spirit and life, but until they're taken in, they're like medicine sitting in the cabinet. What use is it if it could save your life if you don't drink it, if you don't take it in? It has to be heard and then heated absorbed speaking to his disciples the lord jesus said this and they did believe this is after uh after the time when judas iscariot you know went away and this is during his high priestly prayer here he says john 17 8 he says listen carefully he says i have given them the words that you gave me he's speaking to the father i've given them the words that you gave me and they have received them and have come to know, have come to know in truth 
that I came from you. They know my identity. They understand that I'm eternal, that I'm the eternal son, that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me, that he was sent from the Father, that though God is one, yet God is three in persons. They, they came to understand that, but did you hear the order of those words? I have given them. They've received. Come to know. Given. Given. They received. Have you received? Then that's who comes to know, you see. Comes to know, come to understand. This is why the Son of God, as we sang, came down into our world in Jesus as God's prophet to give you and me the words the Father gave him that we may receive them. To receive them is to receive him and then come to know. Come to know who he truly is. See the glory of Christ, God in Christ. Recognize Jesus as the Son of God, our Savior, and our only hope from, uh, from condemnation. But you must receive his words, you see, to receive him. And Jesus is still declaring his words right now. He has ascended at the right hand of the Father. You've been following me in the book of Acts. He is still speaking. He spoke through his apostles. And what his apostles have said has been inscripturated. And he is still speaking by the power of the Spirit through his word as it's proclaimed. My sheep hear my voice. And that's right now. That's today, you see. We hear his voice calling us and teaching us. And so, how does Jesus execute his role as the, uh, as the prophet. He executes it by fulfilling the word of God, declaring the word of God, and lastly, he fulfills it because he is the word of God. The word of God come in flesh. Unlike Moses, and unlike all the other prophets, Jesus revealed God not only in his spoken ministry, in his words, many of which we have written down, but in his person, in his very person. Uh, to that we turn to John 1, all right? Well, you, many of you know what it says in John 1. In John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In verse 14 below says, and the word became what? Flesh. The word became what? Flesh and dwelt among us. Tabernacle among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. You know, John uses, as many of you know, John uses the term logos, which is translated word there, right? In the beginning was the logos. <clears throat> and that was a loaded, loaded Greek word in their day. It had all kinds of meanings and, 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 and uses. But as D.A. Carson, New Testament scholar, helpfully points out, from in John's mind, with his rich Jewish Old Testament background, the, the logos of God, the word of God, is more connected with God's powerful creative power, redemptive power, uh, and, and, and revelation, you see, by the word of the Lord, by the logos of the Lord, the, the heavens and the earth were made, right? And so this word he uses, it would have drawn in a lot of readers to think the logos, and then, but he, he is associating it with the very creative power of God. And here the word, the logos, is personified. He, 
He, the Word, was with God and was God. And the creative Word of God through whom all things were made became flesh. Did not cease to be what He always was, which was, is God equal with the Father, but added, became something He had not been, added humanity The God-man, the Word became flesh. And when the Word became flesh, God the Eternal Son made God the Eternal Father visibly known. The the, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, verse 14 says, and we beheld, we beheld, we saw, we were gripped by His glory. What kind of glory? Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full, brimming over, with grace and truth. You know, in verse 18, I didn't read it, it says, no one has ever seen God. The only God, that is the only one who is God, is another translation, who is at the Father's side, or you may have heard who is in the very bosom of the Father, this one he has made him known. Shorthand, no one's seen God, but this one has made him known. Exegeomine, from which we get the word exegesis to lead out the meaning of something jesus has led out the meaning of god he has narrated god if you would put it that way he is the jesus is the declaration in human flesh of what god is you see what is god like you see look at jesus god is love look at the love of the son of god when he lays down his life for the sheep for those who oppose him God is holy. Look at Jesus, the sinless lamb without blemish, right? God is light. Jesus is the light of the world who stepped down into darkness, right? I am the light of the world. As such, Jesus was able to say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Another text, I can't leave this aside, is Hebrews chapter 1. John chapter 1 and Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, and really in verses 1 through 3, put on your your thinking cap. So I'm going to read verses 1 through 3, and with your thinking cap, see if you can see all three distinct roles of Jesus' uh, mediatorial office there. Prophet, priest, king, okay? So let me read it. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke. To our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Literally, in son. Whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Prophet, he is God's final word, the son who came. Priest, he made purification for our sins. King, he is seated now at the right hand of majesty on high, you see. Prophet, priest, and king. Well, our concern is his role as our prophet, right? And he fulfills the role of prophet because he is the word of God. And that's what we see here. 
Jesus, we're told, was like the other prophets, uh, like the other prophets, he spoke, right? They spoke God's word and so did he. But Jesus is different than the other prophets in that he himself is God's speech, (laughs) God's word. In these last days, he has spoken to us in a whole different category. Son, he sent the son. That's God speaking. When his son arrived, that's God the Father speaking to us. It's as if he wrote love letters over the centuries through his prophets and they were turned back and torn up, thrown away. He sent love letters, remember? And like the parable that Jesus said, finally he sent his son into the vineyard. He sent his son. That's God's final, fullest, most complete word. His, his own revelation, his son came into the world to reveal the Father. And so, it's, it's astounding. It also affirms here that he, he, he reveals the Father in, in his very nature because he shares the Father's nature. You know, Isaiah 42, 8 says, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. That is my name. My glory I give to no other. And yet, verse 3 says here what? That Jesus, and that Jesus alone, fully and exactly exhibits the very nature and glory of God, you see. My glory I give to another, and yet the Son is the radiance of the Father, you see. The very expression of God's glory. As such, He is the Word of God. He is the truth from God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so Jesus is the ultimate mediator of God's revelation, God's Word. He is God's greatest mouthpiece because in addition to being a man who spoke God's words under the power of the Holy Spirit, he and the Father and the Holy Spirit share the glory of God, you see. He is also God. He is the light. He is the truth. There's just so much wrapped up in this. I want to finish with just some implications here. And for that, I will turn to one last text. I'm sorry, your fingers are getting worn out. You're flipping around here. Matthew 17. Matthew 17, this is a scene that we call the Transfiguration or the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, In the Old Testament, who went up to a mountain? Moses. What happened to Moses when he went to the mountain? Face was changed. Okay. Matthew 17, verse 1. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. The word means metamorphosized. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets, talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, Peter always jumps in, doesn't he? I mean, he's just, just bow for a minute or something, you know. Peter said, Lord, it's good that we're here. If you wish, I'll make three tabernacles or tents here to honor them. You see, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. But you see, someone, someone who was there was greater than Moses, greater than Elijah. We shouldn't be building three tabernacles as if they're all on the same plane here, guys. 
And as he, as he said that, he was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. Figure that, a cloud that casts a shadow, yet that's bright to them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. Um, this passage describes a moment when the Lord, before His resurrection, death and resurrection, for a moment was transfigured, was transformed into the glory that He would share as the God-man, not simply the glory He had before because He was never the God-man until He was incarnated. And after His resurrection and when He ascended to the right hand of the Father and when He returns in that open glory. And for a few moments He was transfigured into that form and, and and Peter as you said as I said wants to honor him equal with Moses and Elijah and the voice from heaven comes overshadows them and says realize who you're with you see understand what you're saying here Moses went up a mountain and his face was changed but Jesus is on the mountain and he's fully transfigured and he's greater than the law and the prophets you see listen to him, this is my son, the son whom he sent into the world as Moses, but greater than Moses, as Elijah said, but greater than Elijah to bring his word. And he receives the divine attestation from a voice in heaven a second time in his life now. So listen to him. And beloved, this is what I conclude with. Jesus is God's greatest word to you and me. Listen to him. There are so many voices today. So many voices, opinions, news feeds, gurus, um, false narratives, interpreters of life and what is going on. Some of which some of you have imbibed. You've fallen into it. There's so much static out there. You need to discern his voice. Here. And listen to him like a child and lost in a crowd who hears his mother's voice calling for him in the midst of the crowd, discerns the direction and then moves in that direction. You are to discern the voice of God in the words of Christ. And then what? Well, just like always, heed it. Don't just hear, listen to him and heed his word. The Lord's own brother said, be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Why is someone who hears his word but has no inclination, desire to do it, deceiving him or herself? Because if you've actually heard his word as you're meant to hear it, you would be transformed by the word. And you would begin not a life of perfect, not a life of sinless perfection, but a desire, an inclination to walk in the ways of the Lord and dealing with your own struggles when you fall down in the Lord, by faith in the Lord. And so, listen, to trifle with his words, to ignore his words, the words of Jesus, God's prophet, is to put your soul into jeopardy. It is to jeopardize eternity, and you may be deceiving yourself 
if you've mastered a way of playing church, you may be deceiving yourself. Hebrews 12.25, a book devoted, as you remember, largely to showing that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Near the end, Hebrews 12.25 says, See that you do not refuse the one who is speaking. Don't refuse him. And what did the Lord himself say? Yahweh, to Moses, repeated through Peter, Every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. Listen, those are strong words, but out of love I urge each of you, some of you whom I know you've been listening to me, this voice for years, I urge you, listen and receive the word of God. To as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be called the children of God. Those who believed in his name. Listen to him. This Christmas, this, this Advent, this Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is God's prophet sent to us, his word to us, and his word, his voice is the only one that could overcome our sin. His voice, his word can overcome our blindness, our hardness of heart. His words can awaken us, can restore us, can heal us, can renew us. His words and his words alone brings forgiveness of sin. His word and his word alone, his voice gives us hope that lasts beyond death, you see. And so we celebrate Christmas because the word of God came to us. Truly, truly, I say to you, said Jesus, he who hears my words and believes him who sent me does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. I hope that's each one of you. And if it is, rejoice with me here. One last song and we'll finish our time together. Amen. Mm -hmm.